Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to The Cannonball, a podcast attempt to read all of the books on Harold Bloom's list of the Western canon. Uh, I am Claude Meyer-Guzer, and with me is my co-host, Daniel Doty. Daniel, how are you doing? Hey, very good. I just, with that... uh with that introduction, I feel like we almost could have called this show uh, "Biting Off More Than You Can Chew," the series. <laughs> but well, but yeah. so far, and we're just—I know we're just barely in, but so far it's been remarkably rewarding. So <laughs> maybe it is. Maybe we can chew it. We shall see. <laughs> well, yeah, chew it, spit it out, swallow what you can, digest as much as you can. I don't know where this metaphor is going, but yeah, something, whatever the intestines do, I don't know. <laughs> what, what, what am I, a doctor? Anyway. Oh man! Speaking of which, uh, remind me to tell you about the um, the the topographical map of hell. No, it's the the anatomical map of hell. Oh, uh, I, I had a um, a professor in undergrad. Uh, oh, we're doing Dante today. <laughs> yeah, that's why we're talking about hell. <laughs> uh, we're doing the Inferno. Uh, I had a professor in undergrad make the claim that uh, there's a, an anatomical map you can make of hell where Satan is literally the asshole of the universe. I don't know how accurate that is. <laughs> I haven't come across any uh, annotations <laughs> to justify that. Yeah, but that was one of my uh, early experiences with with Dante. I guess we'll I guess we'll leave it up to the listener to decide whether there is uh, a, an alimentary allegory to our <laughs> to our story here. But. Thank you so much for for the the vocabularial perspicacity. Um, the, what what we're doing is a, a three part series uh, on Dante. We're we're starting with the Inferno. We're doing the Purgatorio, and then after that, we're going to do the Paradiso. Uh, the purpose here is to cover the whole of the Commedia. The the Inferno is the one that most people know, and it's the mm-hmm. one that's the most often translated. I was in a bookstore earlier today, and there were at least seven different translations of the Inferno. 
two of the Purgatorio and the Paradiso didn't make the list. Uh, yeah, you, you really only you only ever see the Paradiso as part of. Uh, you, you'll have like sort of the omnibus, like the the the, the whole Commedia translated. But I, yeah, I think you're right. I've I've never seen a separate edition for the Paradiso. Um, I there there are one or two. Uh, but yeah, and, and that's a shame because the Paradiso is kind of where it's at. But anyway, we're doing a three part series and we're starting with the Inferno. And, uh, I want to pause for five seconds to assert that this is an educational podcast. Did you know that, Daniel? Uh, I know it's been an education for me, so I can, <laughs> I can only hope that, uh, maybe someone else picks up on it, but yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, my intention really is to, to make this an educational podcast, yeah. uh, par- partially because, you know, there, there's no possible way we could make any money off of this, but but also <laughs> the, the reason I'm bringing this up is for fair use reasons. We're going to be quoting uh, probably pr- pretty extensively from Robert Pinsky's translation of the Inferno and from uh, Robert Hollander and Gene Hollander's translation of the Inferno and their annotations. Um, and so because this is an educational podcast, uh, please don't sue us. Right. Please, please don't sue us. We're just, we're just very much enjoying your work. And I would recommend, uh, all of our listeners go out and purchase these fine items. Uh, so and make sure those royalties get back to their authors. Well, that's, I mean, I, I really do think if you're starting the Comedia, uh, Penske's translation of the Inferno is, is a great entryway. It was, it was really stellar. I, I and I, I guess we'll, we'll talk about sort of our personal biography with the text. Yours is vastly more extensive than mine. But I, so I guess I can just say that, uh, just to, to further promote Mr. Penske's work here, that, uh, I, I, the only other time I attempted to read the, anything from the Comedia, um, it was, uh, I believe I got like a, like a Dover edition of the entire Comedia at uh, Barnes and Noble or something when I was 17. And mm. I was, I was very eagerly trying to distance myself from my trash reading of my younger teen years. Um, and so I took it upon myself, like, I will read this pillar of Western civilization. Um, and it, it was certainly, I mean, you know, with, with those Dover editions or, or, or similar editions, like they're almost always using much older, translations that are in the public domain and so uh there's a certain there's like an extra barrier of entry because the language is oftentimes archaic in and of itself yeah um, i think so um, i didn't get, i didn't get very far but pinsky was uh was a was an absolute delight i guess i should i should i should admit here that i was a little late doing my homework uh for this particular one so i um actually spent i had started a little bit but didn't get very far and so i spent um, most of, most of my afternoon this afternoon I had the uh, the day off from work today. Uh, just I just sat down and read the Inferno, and you know it was you know a matter of a few hours. Um, but uh, it, it Mr. Pinsky's interpretation of it was just flowed so well, and was so legible and and and, uh, and and rhythmic and rendered in English that uh, it was really it was truly a delight. Well, I guess we'll dig into a little more about what's so media about uh the text later but uh so but yes claude the you we were we were speaking earlier before we were recording about your very extensive history with the text well i okay it's it's extensive and and not extensive um we 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 were talking about uh, the theological atmosphere in which uh we grew up, or at least in which I grew up. I'm from the rural South, which I'm sure you can hear. 
uh, from my accent. <laughs> I guess we're yeah we're we're, bo- we're both probably uh, we're representing the the southeast. I, I I grew up in the the medium sized urban southeast. So. Ah okay. <laughs> but uh, the 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 theology that was around me was um, you know I I think about it in two ways. Uh, on the one hand, we there, there was a very stringent. Uh, Biblical literality that was sort of part of the culture around us. Um, It wasn't necessarily what we practiced in the household, but it was sort of what others beat (laughs) into us. Um, A kind of what I was calling thoughtless Christianity. This is a text. I don't understand it. I understand these words. So I'll make it mean whatever it means in my own head at the moment. And it's a divine text. So I must be inspired by it. So it says this. I guess this means this. And that gives me license to be prejudicial or bigoted or, or, or what have you. Um, yeah, like that, you, that you, wasn't you, the only you're, you're bringing <laughs> you're bringing what you have to the text. stuff that I grew up yeah. with, but that that was sort of the the predominant uh, a kind of thoughtlessness, and um, you know James Joyce had this uh, this line about the Dubliners that he grew up with. He they, they're possessed of a scrupulous meanness, hmm. uh, a, 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 a kind of um, overly thoughtful pettiness. And that was the way theology was used in in the vast majority of circumstances that I saw around me. And when it was used to talk about divine justice, it wasn't justice, it was personal vengeance, which is... Right. We'll get into this when we get into the text, which I hope will be soon. <laughs> <laughs> but vengeance is not justice. Right. And that's something that Dante makes very clear. But anyway, that, that was my experience. Uh, we grew up, I grew up Methodist. Uh, I was beaten with years and years of Sunday school. It wasn't necessarily that in my household there was a kind of stringent adherence to biblical uh, literality or or this kind of scrupulous meanness, as, as Joyce would call it. But that was kind of the, the culture of, of the small town that we were in. Uh, for the most part, and and yet, I, I distinctly remember in my adolescence there was that desire for a sense of otherness. What mm-hmm. is there <clears throat> beyond the empirical? What is there that that can't be expressed in language? What is there that that is that experience? Um, and, and I didn't have a, a, a container for that, or didn't have parameters for that. When I got to college, I. Uh, in the second semester, when I was in undergrad, I, I took a course on the whole Comedia, mm-hmm. and it, it was astonishing because for the first time I encountered a theology that was extraordinarily thoughtful. Mm, it, yeah. I, I don't agree with it a hundred percent. There, there are places where I want to argue with Dante. There are places where I want to throw <laughs> him off a cliff, right. but. But it was the first time that I I was exposed to something that was more than just, well, my prejudice says this, it must be this. Right, right. You know? Um, it, 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 
it, it was the thoughtfulness of the text. It was the elegance of the text. It was the the vibrant psychology of all of the characters within the text, and just the elegance of the whole. I mean, it was an extraordinarily eye opening experience. It was one of the first you know major literary experiences that I think I had. That's uh, that's that's uh, that's interesting, and I, I it's I, I now I feel my own my own experience is, is uh, almost um, impoverished. <laughs> <laughs> that I wasn't able to to have such a such a eye opening kind of thing there, but well, um, I, well that means your adolescence was not impoverished. I, I, well, so take what you want. fair enough. Yeah, well, I, I I went to a a a sort of main, mainstream Protestant church and who were all fine people, and I enjoyed them even if I didn't quite buy into it. But they all seemed very nice. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, it was I. I there was not a starkness to uh, to be compared to, but uh, but I, I absolutely dig what you're saying about the the kind of I don't want to yeah, I don't want to use the word lush to describe the the imaginative landscape here, but the you're right the thoughtfulness is there the the this this idea that you need not be you need not be bound to that kind of proscripted vocabulary of thinking about and feeling about and talking about these otherworldly things that you can, you can sort of extract from these principles or these, this theology that you have inherited and, and expand and elaborate upon it in a, in a way that helps, even if it's sort of spinning off into something much more derived and, and elaborate from what you have inherited, it still is helping you to comprehend the basic matter at hand. Um, and, and yeah, so it's, so there's, there's less a matter of like, I think the kind the kind of, uh, the kind of spiritual, uh, angle that you're talking about this, this, those stark Methodists had where it was more like, you know, here, here are the boundaries of discourse and you can, you can experience the divine or, or talk about the divine within these boundaries of this discourse. And Dante is blowing the doors off of that. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I, I also get the feeling that that medieval Christianity or medieval Catholicism could welcome that, oh, at, yeah. at least yeah. at the the moment and the place where Dante was writing. Oh, I think that's something that's very characteristic of medieval mm-hmm. Catholicism is is that willingness to. I mean, uh, honestly, like the. Uh, I mean, if you read like. Um, I, I will say this will sound strange, but one of my uh, one of my favorite things to do is read hagiographies, uh, hey mm-hmm. the, the, saint, the saints' lives of the era, and these are spectacularly imaginative stories. I I I, I am dead set that I don't think anyone who read them was supposed to take them one hundred percent literally, just because mm-hmm. you know, or or maybe they're all credulous medievals. I don't know, but the 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 range of imagination on at hand in these in these what were thought of at the time just. Uh, absolutely orthodox interpretations, you know, that no one got in trouble for having uh, a, a beautifully imagined extensive allegory about things. I think that's very characteristic of, of the, of the sort of medieval church culture. But like yeah. you're saying, like, as it, especially at this time that Dante is writing, which would have been the, with the late 13th century, am I placing him correctly? Um, or early 14th century? I can talk about the interpretation. I can't talk about the specifics. <laughs> <laughs> that should, see, that's oh man, I'm the history guy. I should know that. Uh, but I, I, I believe it's the early 14th century. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that must be it. Okay, but anyway, I mean, I'm going to cheat. 
Cheat, cheat very quickly. Oh my god. Okay, so he. Uh, well, there we go. He he was his his life was between twelve sixty five uh, A.D. and thirteen twenty one. So okay. he was he he lived across the boundary of the thirteenth and fourteenth centuries. Hence my entirely accurate confusion. And uh, <laughs> I have a feeling that I should burn both my PhD and. <laughs> My master's degree, my master's degree, which was obtained at Boston College, a Catholic university. Okay, oh, so anyway. <laughs> to, to continue. But, but to continue, uh, one of the things that I wanted to talk about, that, and, and the way that, that I really wanted to dive into this, was to talk about what, what the Inferno is not. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we were talking about this beforehand. There's, uh, like I said, there are a dozen or so translations of the Inferno. There's an obsession with the Inferno. There's a fascination with the Inferno. And, and I think that's a fascination with sin and a fascination with ugliness. And in, I, I guess to put it in 21st century terms, a fascination with quote unquote drama. We watch mm-hmm. stupid things and stupid people doing stupid things because we like the spectacle of it. And, and that seems to me something that Dante is very much against. He doesn't want the spectacle of evil. No. Uh, it, we'll get to the very end where Satan kind of is spectacle and nothing else yeah. And Virgil says, are you done? Let's go. I mean, it's... <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, Nothing the, to see here. Yeah. Yeah, the, there really isn't. And that's kind of the point of the Inferno. I, I mean, I really think the Purgatorio is the the heavy lifting mm-hmm. of the whole Commedia. And then the the Paradiso is just bizarro metaphysics, which... That's, uh, yeah, that's, that's actually exactly... I, I was talking with my wife about, uh, mm. well, about my uh, needing to do my homework... <laughs> Today when we were talking about it, and and she mentioned she mentioned herself like I was like oh yeah we're gonna do we're gonna do all three parts of the commedia, and uh, she said herself like by far the most interesting one is is the purgatorio, and yeah. it's a very sad text but it's very it's it's absolutely the most resonant one, yeah. so yeah but that but 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 you're right that it's um that da- the Dante's Inferno has this reputation for spectacle. For for some kind of I guess gruesome imagination or whatever, and I think that just derives from the the vividness of the imagery, which is astounding. Yeah, and that's the problem of evil. (laughs) No, no, no. Okay, that that really is the problem of evil. All right, so I'm gonna hop forward uh, several hundred years, but uh, Samuel Taylor Coleridge wrote a poem called Christabel. Uh, I, I, I had a professor who was kind of a, a troll, uh, but who was extraordinarily smart and very I, I difficult to like. <laughs> no, no, no. He, he was extraordinarily intelligent, uh, but he was very difficult to like. And his mind was kind of like a, a steel trap that had shut uh, 20 years ago. But it was still, you know. <laughs> anyway, he, he made the claim, and I kind of think he's right, that Coleridge's whole career was about uh, Milton in this way. Uh, Coleridge was trying and trying and trying to work out the problem of evil. And the reason he kept having these fragmented works was because if you stare too long at the problem of evil, you get hypnotized and sucked in. Mm -hmm. Um, Bloom 
in an early, early, early book on the romantics, writes about this problem within this poem called Chris, uh, Christabel. It's a poem by Coleridge um, that is the – it's – okay, to, to be blunt, it's the first lesbian vampire uh, work. <laughs> okay, it's, yeah. No, it's the foundation for Sheridan Lefnew's uh, Carmilla, which okay. is the foundation for every um, homoerotic vampire tale in the canon, yeah. which is about the lore or the allure of the other, like the the dangerous sexuality, the the um, you know, quote unquote unnatural or, or what have you. But the yeah, problem yeah. In, the problem in Christabel is that the good guys are all rendered so inert and dead that the only vibrant parts of the poem are the the supernatural evil parts. Right. And the poem stops halfway through and Coleridge just says, well, I can't really finish it because it's too dangerous to finish and I don't know, you know <laughs> the end anyway. Conscience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because the lure of evil was too great. The, the, the fascination was too great. And and that's one of the things that I think Dante is working with. Not that I think Dante. It's one of the things that Dante is working with. And um, to 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 dive right into it, uh, I think. All right, th- this is what we were talking about. What Dante is not is vengeance. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> what Dante is not is glory over the suffering of others. There are one or two mm-hmm. moments, there are significant moments in the text where, where Dante Pilgrim, who is in the, the journey, who's on the journey, uh, takes pleasure in the pain of the sinner's suffering because that particular sinner is such an egregious human. But mm-hmm. mostly, it's not glory at the, the suffering of others it's sorrow and sadness. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. When when we have particular encounters within the poem, uh, we're told not to engage. And and uh, okay, the the way I was thinking about this was this is a very stupid thing. Uh, in all of my classes, I go to very stupid moments. <laughs> <laughs> to come back to something smart. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, and, and I want to compare this, uh, this beautiful, thoughtful poem to a stupid and thoughtless 21st century work, uh, Zack Snyder's, uh, Batman versus Superman. Awesome. I, um, I give it, give it to me. Okay, D- Snyder is a fascist without knowing it. He, he's, <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> no. He's he's too stupid to understand his own politics. But if you watch, and I I turned it on just out of morbid fascination. I guess I'm falling into Dante's own trap. Um, Batman versus Superman is is a movie that it luxuriates in the suffering of others in order to justify violence Mm -hmm. by the end. Um, It it finds justification for its own violence in previous suffering and thereby 
justifies vengeance and yeah. vengeance is not justice. Um, you know, in, in a weird way, Christopher Nolan's Batman films uh, worked very hard not to be fascist by maintaining that this is not vengeance. This is strengthening a system of justice so that mm-hmm. we don't have to have Batman and so on and so forth. But I, the, the, the Zack Snyder films are about glorifying victimhood in order to justify violence later on. And that is not what Dante is doing. Right. And if you turn to, um, where it's, it's Canto nine where, where Dante and Virgil have been stopped outside the gates of this, the city of Dis. Mm-hmm. They've descended the gates. They, they've, gone through um, a, a, a couple of different circles already and <laughs> the circle down to the or, or the, the the gate toward the lower levels is all blocked off by a bunch of demons uh, Virgil goes to kind of have a parlay and I guess we should say um, for anyone not familiar with the structure of the poem, just very quickly, when we, when we say Virgil, um, the, the poem is told in the first person from a narrator character, who I guess we can just call Dante. Um, yeah. Uh, and he is, uh, it, it begins with him getting lost in the woods and faced with a, a vicious she-wolf and the shade, the spirit of the Roman poet Virgil, sort of the, the um, what might be considered a patron saint of Dante's own endeavors uh appears to lead him away from that danger but in so doing he's going to take him basically on a tour of hell which consists of a series of sort of descending circles almost like a strip mine pit uh yeah. that they are that they are descending through uh, yeah, th- yeah thank you i <laughs> i tend to <laughs> we assume get so excited we get so excited talking about it that <laughs> I, I tend to assume certain levels of cultural knowledge, and after having yeah, ta- yeah. taught for 15 years, I suppose I shouldn't. Um, no, my students are wonderful, and they're very intelligent. But anyway, yeah. the um, the the yeah, and and Virgil has been vouchsafed by Beatrice or Beatrice, uh, who Dante, the actual literal. Uh, uh, biographical Dante had met, I think, when he was nine, and she died. Uh, <laughs> he didn't really know her, but canonizes her after the fact as a kind of um, emblem that he he works towards. She has come down and charged Virgil, or through a series of intercessors, has charged Virgil to lead Dante out of this dark forest. Uh, the dark forest, he says, halfway through my life, I found myself in a dark wood. Uh, this is symbolic of Dante's exile from Florence. Dante had been politically exiled from Florence due to a series of machinations that I still don't have quite a handle on, uh, to be per- perfectly honest. Uh, but he, he, uh, was forced to kind of move from house to house to house to house through, uh, what is now Italy. Um, just relying on the goodwill of others to, you know, put up with him. Uh, his 
fortunes were, were foundered and he just had to kind of make his way. Uh, the dark wood that begins the inferno is, is symbolical of that, but it's also in, in, um, medieval allegorical terms, symbolic of anyone who finds themselves at, uh, a dark crossroads. Mm-hmm. Like, how did I get here? I mean, this isn't the the numbing existential crises of the talking heads. This is, <laughs> okay, I'm in a bad place. Yeah. He tries to ascend the mountain before him, which is meant to be Mount Purgatory. Keep that in your back pocket because we're coming back oh, to that okay. when we get to yeah. Ulysses. Yeah. Um, three allegorical beasts stop him, and that's when he meets Virgil. Uh the point of that whole opening uh, canto is that you can't do it alone. Mm, your, yeah. you, your salvation, it's on you, but you're not going to be able to do this on your own. And you have guides to help pull you through. Yeah. You know? And, and that's what Virgil says is, look, a, a beautiful lady came to me and said, you got to help this guy. And I was so overwhelmed that I had to do it. And we'll talk a little bit about Virgil and Virgil's place here. But um, Virgil says, you can't go up. We got to go down. Mm-hmm. A- and it's not, it's not a good thing. Uh, so anyway, the, they, they descend lower and lower and lower and they're stopped at the city of Dis, D-I-S. Uh, and <clears throat> what, what happens is, Virgil has to, he goes to parlay with the demons who are holding the tower mm-hmm. and, and holding the gates and they just mock him and say, you know, get the hell out of here. Who do you think you are? He comes back to talk to Dante and Dante is, is distraught, but Virgil says, okay, hang on. I, I got back up while they're waiting. Um, the Furies come up to the tower to stop him and and they say, Oh, let Medusa come. This is from Pinsky's text. Oh, yeah. let Medusa come, the Furies bade as they look down to make him stone. We grieve not avenging the assault of Theseus. He said, turn your back, close your eyes. Should Gorgon arrive and show herself, then if you looked at her, there would be no returning back above me back above. He turned me around himself, and to make sure, not trusting mine alone, he covered my face with his hands too. O you whose mind is clear, understand well the lesson that underlies the veil of these strange verses I have written. Okay, we're in hell. We have to understand the nature of sin, but if you stare too long at it, you'll be petrified. You will stay there. If, if you if you meditate too long on sin, you will become the sinful, and I, I think that's the point that he's trying to make. Okay, so then um, something happens <laughs> of a fearsome crash by which both shores were shaken. A sound like that of a wind that gathers force from waves of heat in violent collision and batters the forest, and on its unchecked course shatters the branches and tears them to the ground and sweeps them off in dust clouds with scornful roars. And the wild beasts and shepherds flee at the sound, taking his hands away from my eyes. He said, now look, there were the very harshest fumes abound across the ancient scum. Uh, Virgil has called an angel to come and open the doors. Yeah. This is a moment where, where we should see, ah, this is God getting his revenge. This is Jesus come back to kick some ass. That's not this. 
As frogs are quick to vanish through water and hunch on bottom sand as soon as they see their enemy the snake, so I saw more than a thousand souls of the ruined flee before one who strode across the sticks dry shod as though on land. With his left hand, he cleared the polluted air from his face, and only in that annoyance did he seem tired. I knew assuredly he was sent to us from heaven, and I turned my head to regard the master, who signaled that I should be mute and bow before him. Ah, to me he appeared so full of high disdain, he went to the gate and opened it by means of a little wand, and there was no resistance. O race cast out from heaven, exiles despised there, he intoned from that grim threshold. Why this insolence? Why do you kick against that will whose end cannot be thwarted, and whose punishments many times over have increased your pain? What used to butt at that the fates, at what the fates dispense? Remember your Cerberus throat and chin, for just this reason still are stripped of fur. Then he turned back on the filthy path again, not speaking a word to us, but with the air of one whom other matters must concern than those who stand before him. That, that is how we should feel about this. Yeah. I got better things to do. Right. Like it, like it's a, like it's a, I, I can't, I can't find the quiet words, the right words for it. Not, not necessarily like an annoyance or like a, a kind of tedious obligation. Yes. Almost. Yeah. I, I, absolutely. Like there's nothing compelling about it. It's, 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 it's busy work. It's business as usual. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And then, um, in, uh, yeah, that, that's absolutely it. An angel comes down. It's like, okay, all right. I got to run this spreadsheet. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah. There's nothing fascinating for him. Um, and I think that juxtaposition there, don't stare at the Gorgon. The Gorgon's going to come and fascinate you and turn you into stone. Oh, here comes the angel. And the angel is unimpressed by all of it. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, there's nothing fast. There's nothing here for me. Okay. That's nice. Yeah. Let's go. Um, that, I, I think that is how Dante, I mean, throughout the poem, there's significant markers. That's how he's teaching us to think about this. Mm-hmm. It can be fascinating, but that fascination will lead to your own damnation. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so that, that, I think that's the significant moment. There, there's another moment later on in um, in a later canto where you know this is why I was saying uh, Virgil is is our guide in this. In the canto of the the um, what's the term that that Pinsky uses? The falsifiers. Mm-hmm. Um, in the Canto of the Falsifiers, we have a, a kind of rap battle. Uh, two characters get into this uh, medieval rap battle. It's it's yeah. a, a, a version of poetics that was basically a back and forth where people would sort of insult each other. And the whole joy of it is having fun in the insults and having yeah. fun in who can be more creative in the insulting. And Dante gets drawn into it. And Virgil's sitting there tapping his feet. Are you done? <laughs> right. Like, are you done? Yeah. Yeah. Can, there's there's, no, there's nothing to see here. Can we, can we get the hell out of here? Yeah. yeah. Um, being obsessed or fascinated with drama, being fascinated by, ooh, this, this 
big dumb bully said something dumb and bullying. Let's let's look at this and mock it and and get involved in it. No, there's yeah. there's more to do. This is stupid. Let's go. <laughs> that yeah. I think is what Virgil is doing, and that's what really strikes me about him uh, at, at this. You know, throughout the Inferno, but um, but we. But what I was saying was, uh, I, I feel like I'm doing a monologue here, but what I was saying was that <laughs> this isn't about um, God's revenge because God is right. justice, not vengeance. Uh, and, and that's what makes us so sorrowful. And and what I think is so powerful about this poem is how Dante draws us into sympathy or sometimes even empathy with the sinners. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was something that was very, uh, that, that struck me as I was reading. Like there's one, I, I, I can't remember which, which canto it is. It's, it's fairly early on. Um, but, uh, there's a, uh, there, there, there's a circle wherein the, the souls who are damned there are basically being buffeted forever by these ferocious winds. It's Canto and, Five with lust. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you, thank you. Um, and so Dante, or, or you know, actually like calls to the, he sees two that seem to be you know close together, and he calls them down to to speak with them. And then and much of the poem, I guess we should say, much of the poem is Dante conversing with these damned souls um, about their condition. Mm. Um, he actually asks, like, "Well, how'd you end up here?" And it's and 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 you know, she the the soul is, is of a woman and ends up. Uh, Sort of telling a, an almost, um, I don't know, you know, Romeo and Juliet kind of, <laughs> kind of, no, kind of tra- it is. Tra- tragic love story. Uh, it it of is the kind a tragic love story. We're all over the place in northern Italy. Yeah, <laughs> but, it's it's Paolo and Francesca, and that love yeah, story yeah. was was famous. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> excuse me. That that love story was famous because it was two lovers. Uh, Francesca had been uh, politically betrothed to a guy who was. If I remember correctly, uh, a hunchbacked. He he was deformed or ugly or or, or something. It might be um, uh, uh, political propaganda later on down the line, but he was problematic uh, to the the culture in some way, shape, or form. I'm not trying to be ableist, but that that was how the culture interpreted him. Um, she found a much more beautiful lover. And they engage in an affair. Well, Dante gives us a version of the affair that is, you know, very quick and over with. Her her husband found her in, in bed with her lover and executed them both. And we should be sympathetic towards them. Uh, and, and Dante plays on our sympathy towards them. Um, it was a political marriage. It was a marriage without love. Uh, she found true love somewhere else. Don't you feel sorry for them? But there are, this is Dante all over. There are many things wrong with her story. Um, okay. One, let's start with lust. Mm-hmm. Lust in, in our, you know, puritanical sex obsessed culture, it, lust is, the, the deepest, darkest of what have yous. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lust in Dante is, uh, it's the closest to the top of sins outside of infer, uh, outside of limbo. Uh, limbo, yeah, yeah. limbo is for those who, um, either c- 
couldn't make a decision or the the virtuous pagans, those who who came too early to be saved. Right. Yeah, they they were they just they just so happened to to live and die before the incarnation and so were not party to the the saving act of, yeah. of the Catholic salvation history. And I, I thought that was that was interesting too who who uh Dante puts in there. And it's basically all of like the great classical scholars, some of the Arab scholars uh, yeah. of, of, of the middle ages, like Averroes and Avicenna. Yeah. Um, and some of the, the, you know, the ancient philosophers, like uh, I, I was happy to see uh, Heraclitus, one of my favorites was in yeah. there. I was less happy to see that Epicurus ended up deeper in hell. And, and Dante and I will have words about that because Epicurus well, is the best of the ancient philosophers, but that's a personal take, I guess. Epicurus uh, said there was no soul. <laughs> Is that, yeah, yeah. And, that's, and that's what Dante sort of points out that like, oh, Epicurus insisted that the soul dies with the body because, well, you know, Epicurus was famously, you know, materialist. And so yeah. that's why he's deeper in hell than the rest of these guys. But um, it was interesting that you should mention several uh, Muslim philosophers do show up in limbo. Uh, Muhammad himself shows up among the schismatics and this is a very strange moment, or, or, or it's strange for us to think about, but according to Dante, or, or at least according to the Inferno, how Dante seems to think about that is that um, Muhammad was just another Christian who created a schism. Yeah. It, it, that is... <laughs> I, I, that is very fascinating. I, I don't know what to do with that. I don't quite know how to take that, but I, I think there's a lot more to be done there. According to the schematics of Inferno, he Christianizes Muhammad. Mm-hmm. That, and that's, that fascinates it, me. It's, uh, that's actually a, um, that was a fairly common interpretation of Islam really? at least early on with the Christian interaction. Yeah, because it was um, it, it was sort of for for a lot of sort of the early sort of uh, church encounters with Islam. Uh, the, the church at the time was basically like things either were the church, it was paganism, or it was heresy. <laughs> So you had to kind of that, that was sort of the, the the framework they were working with the rubric that they had to to assess the doctrinal nature of whatever was not comporting with what they were working with. Um, mm-hmm. So since Islam was clearly not pagan, in fact, they were uh, fiercely monotheistic, and that's honestly one of the reasons why um, uh, the 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 early Muslims were as sort of dismissive of Christianity as they were is because they saw it as the Trinity as being polytheism. Um, whereas, you know, of course the, the Catholic church has their own really honestly, every modern, all the, you know, the Orthodox Christianity and the, and the Christianities descended from it, like modern day or Eastern Orthodox and Protestantism hold with that Trinitarian view, which they have mm-hmm. a lot of theology around, but yeah, the, but for, uh, for the medieval church, the, yeah, the, the sin of Islam was not one of they are just totally out there. The sin of Islam was that they were really misinterpreting things, and they were they were heretics by by dint of misinterpreting what God wanted from them and and who Jesus was. Like it, you know, they they because in Islam Jesus is revered as a as a prophet as a forebear of Muhammad's <laughs> real final revelation. Yeah, 
Um, but he's still revered. And so, but to the Christians, since like, okay, like let's check off our boxes. They believe in one God. Okay. They believe Jesus was really great, but that he wasn't the son. All right. There it is. Heresy. It's a heresy. So, so yeah, they're, they're, de- they're, they're deformed. They are deformed Christians rather than, uh, rather than some sort of completely alien, uh, ideology. Yeah. That is so fast. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. So to get back to Paolo and Francesca, so the <laughs> yeah. point that I was making, the reason, the reason lust is at the top of the heap. Uh, I mean, it is a heap, but lust is at the top of the heap is, is because it's the closest to divine love. It's just divine love taken in the wrong direction. And, and that's, I mean, this is, it's Dante's Catholicism through and through. Uh, the, the top sins are sins where, um, the, the heart overpowers the head. Mm-hmm. You know, emotion overrides intellect and, and it's not, thoughtful sin it's thought less sin but mm-hmm. francesca is still going to say i didn't do it um it's yeah, not yeah. it's not my fault yeah and, and and that is the case with everyone in hell it's so strange when we get into purgatorio i'll, I'll point i'll point this out again everyone in hell says go back and remember me you're in hell are you sure about that? Yeah. But um, in, in the Purgatorio, nine times out of ten, at least in, in my revisiting it, uh, everyone says, go back and tell everyone I'm okay, but could you do me a favor and look after this guy? Or could you do me a favor and look after my niece? Or could you do me a favor and look at it's, – it's always about someone else. Yeah. In, in Inferno, it's always about the self and it's that selfishness. Right, which, yeah. And, and and taking this in and putting it on someone else and not me. Um, okay, so what happens with Paolo and Francesca is they're they're in a maelstrom and they're being buffeted around and and their souls can almost touch but not touch, mm-hmm. and so they're drawn closer and closer together but never never far away. And um, Francesca says, uh, okay. What happens is this. Virgil tells Dante, talk to them, okay? If you really want to hear, this is Dante's first encounter with a soul in hell. And and Virgil says, um, when they drift closer, then entreat them hither. In the name of love that leads them, they will respond. Call them by the name of love. Call them for the sake of love. A medieval reader would have known you don't swear by love, you swear by God. You don't call yeah. by love, you call by God. So already they're being cast in a negative light, in a very subtle negative light, but they are misreading. They are misreading their own love. Um, <clears throat> she, she tells the story of, of, you know, what was going on and, um, she kind of sort of damns Dante. Uh, 
Francesca says, Oh, loving soul who with courtesy and compassion voyaged through black air visiting us who stained the world with blood. If heaven's king bore affection for such as we are suffering in this wind, then we pray, then we would pray to him to grant you peace for pitting us in this our evil end. Now we will speak and hear as you may please to speak and hear while the wind for our discourse is still. My birthplace is a city that lies where the poet finds peace with all its followers. Love, which in gentle hearts is quickly born, seized him from my fair body, which in a fierce manner that still torments my soul was torn untimely from me. Love, which absolves none who are loved from loving, made my heart burn with joy so strong that as you see it cleaves still to him here. Love gave us both one death. Cana awaits those uh, awaits the one who took our lives. These words were borne across from them to us. When I had heard those afflicted souls, I lowered my head and held it so till I heard the voice of the poet ask, What are you thinking? Okay, Dante is drawn into this story of love. Love drew us to this. Love did this. Love did that. This is where Dante the Pilgrim begins to learn. Uh, According to Francesca, love killed her. Mm -hmm. No. No. Uh, (laughs) Virgil asks, what are you thinking? I, I, and I, I think Pinsky's translation is is interesting here because it's on the one hand asking that question. Okay, so you've heard it. What do you think about this? But yeah. also, why are you drawn into this? <laughs> right. What are you thinking? <laughs> what are you thinking? Yeah. I answered, alas, that sweet conceptions and passions so deep should bring them here. Then looking up toward the lovers, Francesca, your suffering makes me weave for sorrow and pity. He says, okay, th- this is sad. Tell me more. And she says, um, one day for pleasure, we read of Lancelot by love constrained, alone, suspecting nothing at our leisure. Sometime at what we read, our glances joined, looking from the book, each to the other's eyes. And then the color in our faces drained. But one particular moment alone, it was defeated us. The longed for smile, it said, was kissed by that most noble lover. At this, this, ki- this one who now will never leave my side, kissed my mouth trembling. Galeotto, that book. And so was he who wrote it that day we read no further. Um, a Galeotto, a pimp, yeah. was that book. Um, that day we read no further. That, that is a somber line. Yeah. Uh, they, they were seduced by a book of love. And there's a lot going on there. Yeah. And, and, and this is the complexity of, of Dante. Uh, on the one hand, it's it's a misreading of a true book of love in in the medieval allegory. It would have been the Bible. If you really want to meditate on love, then you meditate on divine love, which takes you higher and not to the the lust of soul. But um, I, I I gotta I gotta be a pimp here in my own right. Um, if anybody is really interested in Dante or intellectualism, uh, I, I gotta promote, uh, Robert Harrison's podcast entitled Opinions. Harrison is a, um, he's a scholar at Stanford who has a radio show 
and, on the the local Stanford channel, and they started publishing it as a podcast. And oh, cool. he did he did a, a a three part series. It's a beautiful meditation on, or it's an interview with another scholar on the the Comedia. And Harrison points out that. Uh, Dante had written this kind of love poetry that Francesca seems to be quoting or that seems to have led her into her own despair. Yeah. Uh, Dante's, uh, the pilgrim's reaction to the, the end. All the while, the one she had spoke, the other at her side was weeping. My pity overwhelmed me and I felt myself go slack swooning as in death. I felt like a dying body. Uh, the first couple times I read that, uh, I, I took that as Dante the Pilgrim not understanding hell yet. Hmm. Uh, Dante the Pilgrim being taken in and, and seemingly warped by his experiences with the damned. And he has to wake up and Virgil has to kick him along to show him, no, these are damned. This is God's justice. You don't believe these people. Um, but Harrison points out that there's something else going on there. If Dante had written this kind of poetry, there's a kind of self-condemnation in this moment. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. He, he seems to be seeing his own culpability in the kinds of things that, that led others to damnation. Yeah. I, I, I think that's a powerful moment. And, and it goes back to my thesis that this isn't, this isn't edginess for the sake of edginess. This is, oh my God, right. I, I am part of this. Yeah. Yeah. I um, think that's, I think it's absolutely. Uh, and it's, it's, and I think that is driven home in a broader sense uh, throughout the whole poem where, there are several occasions where Dante, uh, the pilgrim, interacts with persons that he knew in life. Uh, so that that brings that personal aspect, I think, to the fore each time. That like, like, okay, wh- whatever it is that ensnares these these souls, I am part and parcel of it. You know, I, I am somehow also. You know, I, I am no different from these souls. I am no different from the milieu that brought them here. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's um, it, it's okay. I, I, if I remember correctly, it was T.S. Eliot said of of Ezra Pound. It might not have been Eliot, but it was said of Ezra Pound. Uh, for Pound, hell is for other people. Yeah, yeah. And, and for Dante, hell is not for other people. 
um, damnation is not for other people. We always run that risk. And I, I think he sees himself running that risk. He puts friends and colleagues in hell. Uh, in that's, that's one of the saddest moments in, in, uh, Canto 15 or 16, um, among the sodomites is Brunetto Latini. And and Latini was one of his mentors. Um, but it's an interesting place. Okay. Placing Latini among the sodomites is kind of controversial because if I remember correctly, um, Latini, all right, one of my, in grad school, one of my um, professors had written a book on the interpretation of Keats in the Victorian era. Yeah. And he was looking at the way that Keats, Keats was virulently heterosexual, but expressions of sexuality by uh, a man in the Victorian era was viewed as effeminacy. Mm-hmm. And his sort of thesis in the book was that uh, several gay authors in the Victorian era picked up on Keats, took parts of Keats, and then um, tweaked them a little bit to be able to express their own desires, which were, were I guess, sub rosa in some way, shape, or form. I, yeah, they yeah. were gay. They, they couldn't express those desires in the Victorian era. Right. But he writes about uh, Wilde, and he has this great line. Um, you know, Oscar Wilde is held up as the the great, um, I guess, persecuted gay hero, yeah, though yeah. he did lead uh, a reasonably successful heterosexual existence. And I just I love that <laughs> phrase huh. uh, because. <laughs> Because Wilde was married, he had kids. It, yeah, you yeah. have to wonder what is a a, a reasonably successful. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I really, sexual, start, sexual I really started thinking like oh, I would be interested to know what the yardstick is on that. But anyway, yes, yeah. But but Latini, if if I remember correctly, was married and had kids. Yeah. So yeah, so yeah. casting him among the sodomites is is kind of it's strange. But what? Or, or at least ours, but what um, what Dante seems to be getting at is what Latini says. Um, he he claims that Latini showed him how a human can find immortality, mm-hmm. and what he means by that is Latini showed him how to write good to attain a kind of classical version of immortality by writing yourself into history. Yeah. What's wrong with that, Daniel? (laughs) Um, hmm. Well, from a medieval Catholic point of view. Uh, well, there we go. Yes, from the <laughs> – thank you. Yeah, yeah. I, I was thinking on like, huh, from ethical grounds. No. Well, of course, it, it denies the uh, denies the everlasting life as uh, found through the salvation of Christ. There that, you go. That there would be any other – I am the way and the light. You know, the, the, only, the only way is through me uh, is, of course, you know, one of the more famous quotations of Jesus in the Gospels, and the Catholic Church took that extremely seriously. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so what what Latini seems to be arguing is a kind of um, immortality through production of aesthetic works. Right. And Dante wants to say that's not enough. Um, but it's, it's extraordinarily heartbreaking, the interactions he has with Latini in, in that circle of hell, 
because Dante bends down to talk mm-hmm. to him, there's this kind of homage that he's doing. It's it's painful to read. When you understand the relationship between these two, it's it's painful to read. Hell yeah. is not for other people. Hell is for us. Right. And Dante registers that again and again and again. And and Latini's last words are, um, remember my book. Remember my treasure. Yeah. The, he, he wrote a treasury of, of information. I can't remember the, the whole title. But <clears throat> wrong book. Yeah. <laughs> right. And that, is, that brings out that kind of that extra pathos of the soul who is, who is damned in part for his – uh, usurpation of the power yeah. of granting immortality is still still trying to get someone to get on board that program. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean that that brings us to the next issue that that Dante's dealing with. How does he fit his own project within this? Mm-hmm. And, and and I think that gets us to uh, the false counselors. You know, this was one that I wanted to take a look at and to go along with our, uh, ridiculous project. Uh, this is <laughs> where, uh, well, <laughs> I don't know if it's our ridiculous, my ridiculous project. I dragged you into this, but oh, no, um, I am, I am, all, I am all the way on board, man. <laughs> it is our ridiculous project. Totally. But it's, it's, it's where Bloom, uh, where Harold Bloom kind of bases a lot of his, his, uh, claims or stakes his claim in, in the Western canon is that, um, Dante, okay, his, his argument is, is kind of strange and esoteric. Um, he, in accordance with his idea that, canonical works are uncanny but we ignore the uncanny nature of them because they become so much a part of us yeah, um, yeah. he he claims that Dante oversteps his boundaries by canonizing Beatrice beyond the boundaries of what she could be canonized and basically makes Catholicism his own within yeah, like a, a usurpation of his own almost yeah yeah and I, I think we were talking about this, and you raised an interesting question. So uh, <laughs> maybe it meant more to uh, medieval Catholics, but I think so. Right? Yeah, like it's a kind good of, question yeah, to ask. Yeah, like the 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 uh, yeah, we were kind of interesting. Like uh, maybe maybe it's my uh, maybe it's our 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 life as moderns. Maybe it is our upbringing as Protestants, um, but that kind of like, like oh, so you took it upon yourself to to declare that this person whom you had a great deal of affection for and admiration for is worthy of sainthood. Well, yeah, okay, that's you. You love this person, okay? Yeah, and <laughs> and, and, and it's, it's almost like kind of like. You know, I, I I hate to engage in you know kind of uh, ethnic stereotyping, but there's the the famous stereotypical, uh, you know the the uh, the what the emotional Irishman talking about his sainted mother. You know, <laughs> like this this kind of stuff happens all the time. Yeah, <laughs> who, who gives a shit, Errol Bloom? <laughs> well, I, I I do think there might be something in there in terms of um, what it would have meant to a medieval Catholic or what it would have meant to church church. Church, sure. church orthodoxy, church. yeah, um, or, 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 orthodoxy for sure. Orthodoxy, sure. <laughs> what what it would have meant to the orthodoxy, or or what it would have meant in, in terms of 
the truth of the produced work. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, uh, yeah. In in the in Cantos twenty six and twenty seven, the false counselors, Dante does make a big deal about gauging the truthfulness of his own word. And, and this is something we didn't talk about in Chaucer, but it's something that's there in Chaucer. Um, or I, I guess we did talk about it uh, obliquely. Chaucer wants to claim that he's telling the absolute truth, even though he's lying all the time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, Dante wants to take that a step further and say, this is a, a divinely vouchsafed vision um, it it is divine in some ways, and yeah. so maybe that registered in the thirteenth, fourteenth century more than it does now, where we have these we have this differentiation between accepted fictions and a version of truth that you know we're we're comfortable negotiating with. But Dante, you know, perhaps he seems to be much more concerned than we are with the truth of his text. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, I, I think I think that's I think that's absolutely it. Like it's I, it, uh, it's almost like we were I, I don't <laughs> we might be regurgitating uh, what we've already said, or maybe this was from before we were recording. But we were talking a bit about the 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 Dante's exercise in an imaginative elaboration in the service of. A, a, a basic central truth so that it's, you know, j- just because, just because something is, uh, you know, a, a imaginative and is, and is full of, it's not betraying the truth of a thing to create an untrue story about it, I guess. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. Sure. I, I mean, there, <laughs> there's still like, there's still a part of me that, that, that seems a, a strange hill to die on for yeah, for, yeah. for Harold uh, Bloom. The that yeah. okay, that's that's what you're gonna say about Dante. And almost, he may, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say one almost gets the feeling that he is enough of a crank that he loves the <laughs> commedia so much that he had to find something wrong with it, and so he kind of grasped at the straw, <laughs> and it's not it, a very good straw. It, it <laughs> I seems, don't know. Um, the 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 literary critic. Um, Oh shoot! Now his name escapes me. Imsen, Harold, uh, not Harold, uh, William Imsen, um, the literary critic William Imsen, uh, had this line about uh, trying to find the right handle for the bundle, like when when writing an essay or 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 analyzing a thing, what's the right handle for the bundle? Uh, what's the right thing that'll pull this off or what's the, the, the parameter or the framework that'll make this work? I have all these observations. What ties them all together? And it seems like an odd handle for the bundle for, for Bloom to have. Dante is a genius because he proclaims that his own genius supplants the church. Okay. <laughs> so it's all right. I mean, sure. But, um, but but there is a, an interesting observation that Bloom has, and, and this is what I was picking up on, about the uh, false confessors. Mm-hmm. There does seem to be an anxiety in Dante when he – in the false confessors section, he the, the cantos, he, he meets Ulysses. 
yeah. and this this is an oddity about uh, Dante. We know how the Odyssey ends. Dante didn't know how the Odyssey ended. Oh. Uh, yeah, he didn't have the full text. Oh wow. Yeah, <laughs> I had no. Wow, that's all. That, I, this is this is new to me. I did not know. Did not know that the uh, that the medieval Italians didn't have access to the 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 end of the Odyssey. No, the, yeah. he had he had bits and pieces, and he could piece things together from other sources. Right. So he knew about um, Odysseus's uh, craftiness. He knew about his engagement in the Trojan Wars, but he didn't know how it ended. He mm-hmm. didn't. He didn't know how the Odyssey ended. Uh, at least, if I remember correctly, his his knowledge of the Greeks was curtailed in some way, shape, or form. So he had to just kind of make it up as he went along. Yeah, and the so way he, he he would have been, um, I guess he, he would have been writing a little before the first big waves of uh, Byzantine refugees began mm-hmm. arriving in Italy, specifically in the Italian city states, as the as the Ottoman Turkish Empire so more more or less subsumed the, you know, what was left of the Byzantine Empire by this point, which had, which had been pretty trashed by Italians during the fourth crusade. <laughs> yep. um, but this was, but this was a little before. And, and when those, when those persons came over, the, the, you know, the Byzantine churchmen and scholars, they, they brought with them their enormous, of course, corpus of, yeah. of, of writings. And so that was one of the sparks of the Renaissance really that, you know, all, yeah. we had these new, you know, we had these new sort of more, uh, reliable editions of these Greek classics we've been banging on about for all these centuries. You know? yeah. yeah. So he knew it, he knew it by, by hearsay. Yeah. Reputation almost. Yeah. Yeah. But he, he didn't have the full text. And so he only had a, a lot of things. He only had fragmentary fra- mm-hmm. fragmentary. Uh, so anyway, um, he casts, he, he meets Ulysses and, Virgil has to negotiate with Ulysses. Um, Dante can't talk to Ulysses. Part of that might be because Ulysses, at least within the fiction of the, or there's a, a, an implied fiction within the, the canto that Uly- uh, Ulysses is speaking Greek. Mm-hmm. Virgil knows Greek. Dante don't know no Greek. So <laughs> yeah. he has to have Virgil as the intercessor. But what Bloom kind of makes a, his claim is that Ulysses comes too close to Dante himself. Ulysses is trying to do what Dante does. Hollander in the notes kind of sort of dismisses that. Yeah. Hollander wrote an essay uh, that I couldn't track down uh, because <laughs> I have a four-month-old and I don't have the time. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but Hollander wrote an essay kind of um, – Addressing Bloom's concerns and in the, the annotations to his own inferno dismisses some of what, what Bloom claims. But, but I kind of think Bloom might be onto something because there, there are parallels with, with Dante's own quest in, um, Ulysses' depiction. It's in, uh, 26 among the false counselors. Uh, Ulysses, according to um, Dante's reading of him, didn't stop when he got back to Penelope. Uh, he convinced his whole crew to get back on board and keep going to the mm-hmm. edge of the earth for the sake of experience. Yeah, and 
he comes very close to Mount Purgatory. Uh, he, he sees a mountain in the distance and gets right up close to it. And then a maelstrom comes and drowns them all. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a parallel with Dante's own journey because Dante was about to go up Mount Purgatory. Mm-hmm. He was about to do what, um, what Ulysses had done. Uh, and Ulysses is telling his men, okay, th- this is in Canto 26. When Circe had detained me more than a year there near Gaeta, before it had that name Aeneas gave it, and I parted from her, not fondness for my son, nor any claim of reverence for my father, nor love I owed Penelope to please her, could overcome my longing for experience of the world of human vices and virtues. I, I gave up my family for experience. But, but what experience of human vices and virtues? Yeah. How is that not what Dante is doing? Yeah. I, I, I am exploring the lowest depths in order to understand human vices and virtues. Yeah, that's exactly. I mean, he's he's stopping to you know do man on the street interviews with all these damned souls precisely, <laughs> precisely in order to understand vices and virtues and the, and the distinction between the two. And so he goes back out and convinces his his whole crew to go. Um, oh, brothers who have reached the west, I began through a hundred thousand perils, surviving all. So little is the vigil we see remain still for our senses that you should not choose to deny it the experience behind the sun leading us onward of the world which has no people in it consider well your seed you are not born to live as a mere brute does but for the pursuit of knowledge and the good and again there's this call on the family remember your family let's leave yeah um it's kind of an uncanny thing but you know I, i Biographically, I wonder if Dante, you know, Dante was a politician in Florence and he ended up on the wrong side of the Pope. Uh, his party ended up on the wrong side of the Pope, yeah. who for political reasons banished or executed most members of that party. When you take a risk like that with your family involved, yeah. what are you thinking? Yeah. I, I wonder biographically why does the family keep coming up here? And it seems, yeah, I think that's part of, I think that's part of Dante again, repeating that message that hell is for all of us. Hell is for me also. Yeah. And yeah. So, so Ulysses convinces his men to think about their families and leave their families. Yeah. To put their families in danger of, of having no provider and go. And they come very close. They see Mount Purgatory and then a maelstrom takes them. And it's, it's very eerie. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's almost like a kind of, um, in, in, a, in a way, I, I, I think it almost, uh, I would argue it absolves him of the charge of being a false counselor in that he made darn sure that everyone thought about the consequences of their actions before <laughs> yeah. they joined him. That, that sounds like actually maybe a, you know, he's, he's not a very, 
good counselor, perhaps, but I don't <laughs> see that as being particularly false. I think that shows a lot of integrity. Um, I I think what Dante is 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 thinking is that um, that Ulysses Ulysses isn't even thinking clearly about what he's doing mm-hmm. for the sake of experience, yeah. just to experience a thing. He'll risk it all, and he does risk it all, and and goes to hell in the process. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I do think Bloom has a point that this comes close. This, this is an eerie parallel to Dante's own depictions. And this gets back to what I was saying about, about trying to understand evil. The more you, you try to understand evil, the closer it's going to draw you in. The the more you, you talk yourself into it. As you attempt to understand it, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. I, um, Dante, <laughs> well, that's, a, that's, that's a bit like conversations you and I have had about uh, Renaissance hermet, hermeticism <laughs> and, and alchemy. <laughs> sort of oh, like, I want to know what those guys were thinking. Maybe we should try it. <laughs> uh, we're getting close to being wizards on the hill. But, um, but that's, you know, okay, when we get to Milton and I, I – Hopefully we will get to Milton. Yeah. Um, Milton cannot help but be fascinated by evil. And he tries to put yeah. safeguards up there that I think don't work because Satan overpowers that book. I mean, oh, Satan is the seller of yeah. Paradise Lost. I mean, he, he, he diminishes. Uh, I think um, Paradise Lost is actually, hey, I'm not entirely uncultured. Paradise Lost <laughs> is one of these works that I have read before and, and yeah. recall at least a little bit of. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like Milton, he – it's very clear that the structure is one of diminishing glory for Satan. Yeah, you know, he, he begins as, of course, you know, the 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 right hand of God, basically, like you know, the the chief among the angels, and and he ends, you know, the the poem sort of peters out with him being described in very sort of almost reptilian terms and very. Oh yeah, he's literally reduced to a snake. The the exactly, first we exactly, see of him yeah. is the the serpent. The last we see of him is the serpent. Satan is gone. From the moon and back, but he's never actually gone anywhere. Yeah, but but at the same time, you're right. Like it's boy, that's not good enough though, because Satan gets some good lines in. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's easily he, the he, most interesting thing going. Yeah, he runs away with it. Um, Iago in Othello. I did, for for my money, Iago is the evilest character I've ever read. I mean, he out evils Satan ten to one. He runs away with that play. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the the power of evil. That's the danger of evil. That's the charisma of evil. And that's what Dante, I think, guards against much more effectively than any other text that, that tries to deal with evil. Let's skip to the very end and then come back to what I think, what many critics think is the most evil character in here. Okay, Satan is nothing at the yeah. end. yeah. <clears throat> yeah, he's he's quite literally. I guess we can, you know, we'll we'll spoil the plot and say that uh, you know, that Satan at, at at the very end is um it really is kind of almost a non-entity that he's he is just sort of a uh, depicted as a gigantic allegorical figure with these these three heads that are munching on the bodies of or the souls I should say of the the three greatest uh betrayers in history of Judas Iscariot, uh Cassius and Brutus. Yeah. Um, of course, Cassius and Brutus, the conspirators who, who who were the ringleaders of the plot to murder Julius Caesar, um, and he's he's depicted as as sort of sitting sort of from waist up in a in a gigantic pit of ice 
barely mm-hmm. moving except for some flapping of some wings, which were attached to sort of the, the necks or faces of each of these three heads, which are sort of slowly munching on these on these traitorous souls. And that's all he does. Yeah. And that's it. And it's, it's complete. It's, it's inert. Is this when I was reading? It's like this is this is a figure that which is inert, which is fixed and which is incapable of dynamism. He's okay. Satan is stuck in place because yeah. the the whole bottom layer of hell is frozen. It, it's all ice. the The final lake that that Virgil and Dante have to cross, Cosidus, is a lake of ice that they have to step over. And Dante keeps saying, "Why is it frozen down here? Everything was so boiling hot. Everything was so you know awful upstairs. Uh, why at the very bottom is it frozen? And when you get to Satan, you finally understand why. Um, Satan is he has encased himself. He's crying. Uh, he's crying in his own rage and and fury and sadness and." The rageful flapping of his wings is freezing the tears. Mm-hmm. So it's freezing his feet in place. It's freezing his, his lower half in place. And the tears have built up and have frozen the bottom layer of hell. All you have to do is stop. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's a point in, in, in the purgatorio. When we get there, I'll show you several times Dante, um, meets a gatekeeper who says, Hey, who are you? This is not what I thought was going to happen. This is not usual. Mm-hmm. And Dante will bow and say, I'm sorry. Uh, I was vouchsafed to this. Uh, Beatrice <laughs> came and she said to go this way. And then the angel or the gatekeeper will say, well, it's weird, but I was charged if I come across something weird like this to err on the side of mercy, mm-hmm. you bowed down, you said you have to go through. Yeah, all right, go. <laughs> yeah, 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 you're good. Um, yeah. In, in purgatory, it's taken as a given. Mercy is taken as a given. Yeah. Erring, error is taken as a given. I could be wrong. Uh, at, the, at the very bottom, I, I was really meditating on this. At the very entrance to hell is the 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 sign abandon hope ye who enter mm-hmm. um those and, and and when dante and virgil see the souls you know D- dante has this line and, and i've read i think six translations and it's always translated the same way i never thought death had undone so many mm. um Elliot, uh, T.S. Eliot rips that out and puts it right into the wasteland as is. Um, the souls in hell are, are rushing to get to their damnation yeah. because they're obsessed with their own damnation. They're obsessed with their own evil. They, 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 they feel it. They know it. And they are participants in their punishment. Yeah. They don't think they're worthy of being saved. And, for Dante, I, I, I think that's the irony. Anyone can be saved. Just stop. Yeah, just yeah, just stop. Yeah. yeah. Um like when you find yourself in the hole, stop digging. Yeah. <laughs> in in purgatory, it's not abandoned hope, ye who enter. Hope is is possibility. Mm-hmm. 
possibility can come back to bite you on the ass or it can take you to someplace new, but you have to trust in the openness of possibility. And even though purgatory, to my mind, in some ways, purgatory is even more um, physically tormenting than than an inferno. Mm-hmm. But there's the possibility and the hope and the openness within that that takes you to a different place. And all of the gatekeepers in purgatory say, I could be wrong. Go. Mm-hmm. It's the accepting of your own error that allows you to to find salvation. No. Um, but in in the bottom of Inferno, yeah, Satan is just an allegory, and he's nothing. Yeah, he's not worth looking at. And Virgil says, "You done? Let's go." Yeah, that's it. Um, the the real darkly fascinating part uh, actually comes in in Canto thirty three. Yeah, yeah, with with Ugolino. Um, and you want to lead us into that? Or? Well, honestly, I think you have a better grasp on it uh, the, than I do. But this is, yeah, this, this is in the, this, 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 uh, I don't know, ice rink of the damned <laughs> at the very bottom of hell, um, which is, which is reserved for, of course, the traitors and betrayers. And there is a, a bizarre scene of two souls, you know, frozen into the ice, but one of whom is, just taking a big old bite out of the back of the head of another and just gnawing on it and, and, and chewing and worrying it. And, uh, and this turns out to be a figure by the name of Ugolino who had a, who ends up, um, relating his very gruesome, very gruesome story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which, uh, which I do think you have a better handle on. I think you'll, I, I, I shall demur to you to, to relate to, yeah, that, to well, the listeners. Ugolino had uh, been on one side of uh, – I'm not going to get into the medieval politics, but he'd been on one side of um, a, a political party, switched sides and switched sides again. Uh, he, he was essentially executed for being a traitor, but he was walled up in a tower with his children. Mm-hmm. And, and this is where – I mean this is the power of Dante. This is where allegory um, – Misreading of the Bible, like biblical knowledge, personal psychology, and human drama all just kind of interact in this this dark yet fascinating way. Yeah. Um, Ugolino is walled up in a tower with his own children, uh, and they starve to death. Uh, it says um, after a short run, Father. Da, 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 I saw their flanks. I showed. Da, 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 um, Sorry, I'll move back a little bit. Um, With no escape, after a short run, father and son seemed spent. I saw their flanks, that sharp fangs seemed to tear. Uh, I woke before dawn, hearing the complaint of my own children who were with me there, whimpering in their sleep and asking for bread. You grieve already, or truly cruel you are, as you think of what my heart began to dread. And if not now, then when do you shed a tear? They were awake now with the hour when food was usually brought us drawing near and each one apprehensive from from his dream. And then I heard them nailing shut the door into that fearful tower, a pounding that came from far below. Hearing that noise, I stared into my children's faces, not speaking to them. Inside me, I was turned to stone so hard I could not weep. 
The children wept, and my little Anselmo, peering at me, inquired, Father, what ails you? And still I did not cry, nor did I answer all that day and night until the next sun dawned. When one small ray found its way into our prison, and I made out in their four faces the image of my own, I bit my hands for grief. When they saw that, they thought I did it from hunger's pain, and suddenly rose. Father, our pain, they said, will lessen if you eat us. You are the one who clothed us in this wretched flesh. We plead for you to be the one who strips it away. Okay, so there are a couple things going on there already. Yeah. Uh, one is the the horrible um, cannibalistic retelling of the Eucharist. Yeah, that that's or it, it's a parody, not a retelling. It's a it's a parodic um, version of the Eucharist. The sons are literally being eaten by their father. <clears throat> Generation is literally going backwards. Right. And it, it's, it's feeding nothingness. Now, there's something else that's going on here. Um, inside me, I was turned to stone so hard I could not weep. Hmm. What happens to Ugolino is a frozenness inside he 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 stops he becomes stone instead of joining in compassion with his children instead of trying to communicate with them instead of trying to find fellowship with them to bring them together instead of instead of anything yeah he shuts down entirely yeah and this is a false stoicism this isn't a true stoicism this isn't bravery in the face of something this is separation of the self into the self into deadness it's a it's a it's a coward it's a cowardly stoicism exactly rather, rather than one of 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 bearing up it's one of collapsing in yeah exactly we stayed silent through that and then the following day oh you hard earth why didn't you open then when we had reached the fourth day gatto lay stretched at my feet where he had fallen down. Father, why don't you help me, he said, and died. And surely as you see me, so one by one I watched the others fall till all were dead between the fifth day and the sixth, and I, already going blind, groped over my brood, calling to them though I had watched them die for two long days, and then the hunger had more power than even sorrow had over me. No, no. The the heavy suggestion there uh, is that once his children were dead, he ate them. Right. Which wouldn't save him from death. No. It merely prolonged his, his horrid existence walled up in this tower. Yeah. 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 Um, this, this is betrayal of the worst order. And I, I think you pointed it out. Mm -hmm. This wouldn't have saved him. Yeah. Um, in Dante, the, the sins of the heart are, are closer to the top because they're unconscious sins. Mm -hmm. you, you don't think about them. But down at the very bottom, it's, it's thoughtful sin. Right. It's, it's, it's knowing and understanding what the right thing to do is and not doing it. Right. And, and not yeah. just not doing it, going out of your way to do the opposite of that. Yeah, like it's the, and I, th I think that's very, very tied up in the, uh, I don't want to say conflation of 
reason with virtue because that's not exactly what was going on with the with the medieval church but especially in this kind of in this sort of the 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 age of scholasticism where reason like the 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 capacity of reason was seen as if not the pathway to understanding the divine then would necessarily be completely commensurate with understanding the divine which is which is very and that's that's a kind of a unique take because you have a lot of um what we might call the more mystic tradition wherein it's not you're not going to reason your way to god it has to be a kind of uh, an experience it's never going to yeah. but 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 in the medieval church this was reason was seen as a vehicle for salvation and that's what i think you're right like the the, the lesser grade of sins are those where the influence of reason is for whatever reason attenuated or obscured or occluded somehow so that you are operating on uh, on on impulses or or you're you're operating uh, without reason um, but but you're right like it, the more serious sins the ones are where you have engaged your reason you have engaged that faculty you have engaged that faculty which God has granted you so that you can understand him. And you still decide, you still make that decision to go against it, to yeah. go against what reason dictates, to go against what you, yeah, what, what you know is right. And you have used your, you have used your God-given reason to determine that and you still go against it for, for whatever reason you might have. Yeah. If, if someone steps on your sneakers on the subway, you, you know that you might have that flash of anger, right? Like yeah. you just bought these shoes and you might have that flash of anger that, um, okay, this is the, the worst thing that happens. Hey, what are you doing? Get the fuck off my shoes, so on and so forth. And you might get into an altercation where you push that person and so on and so forth. Yeah. But you know not to just sit there and take it and then follow that person out of the subway and then maybe stand two or three blocks behind them, but follow them to their place of work or their home and find out where that is and maybe scope it out day after day after day, really building that up so that you know their patterns and you know where they're going and what they're doing so that when the time comes, you can follow them home, sneak in behind them, snap, snatch them on the elevator, and then take them to your basement dungeon and do what you will. No, right. I'm sorry. You go, you go Hannibal Lecter, but I, I'm going yeah. there for a reason. Yeah, yeah. You, you have to work to do that. Right. That's not accidental. Oops, I fucked up. I'm sorry. I, my, my heart overwhelmed my head. Right. That's knowing what the right thing is and knowing that you're going out of the way to harm somebody. Right. You it's, know that you're doing that. It's it's a, be, it's a betrayal of the nature of reason. Yeah. Like it's, it's, a, it's a very basic kind of betrayal that, yeah. 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 And so I wanted to read uh Hollander's footnote here because he, he had an interesting one. We were talking about this. Um, I, I, I really, I, I urge anyone who's interested to read Penske's translation of the Inferno and, Along with it, uh, Robert and Jean Hollander's translation and annotations, because the, the, the annotations, I mean, the, the translation is good, but the annotations are just spectacular. Right. Um, 
Come for the there, translation, stay for the annotations. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. But what they say is um, the story of uh, Ugolino's imprisonment and death was familiar to all who lived in Tuscany. What Dante could not have known, uh, Ugolino says, was how much he had suffered. The way in which he says this, on the other hand, indicates the sort of egotism that we will experience all through his speech. He's taking pride in his own suffering. All right, Daniel, what's wrong with that? Who suffered that we're supposed to see as an exemplar of the 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 epitome of suffering, so that none should <laughs> suffer anymore? Ah, uh, yes, I, it's um, your pal and mine, JC. Yeah, yeah there, there's a way in which I think uh, Hollander subtly suggests it, and I think Dante also subtly suggests it. Ugolino is trying to supplant Christ in his own suffering. No one yeah. has suffered more than I. In in in-game, uh, Ham, uh, the main character uh, who seems to have destroyed the world around him, has this line: "No one's suffering is." stronger than mine or who has suffered more than I he's enjoying having suffered so much mm-hmm. uh, Ugolino is along those same lines he's gloating in his suffering it's the antithesis of Christ there's something right. anti, anti-Christian about yeah, this yeah well there's that and it goes with that inversion of the Eucharist as well wherein of course you know the Eucharist is God's children eating the flesh of God yeah and you know, the, the children eat the flesh of the father. And yeah, the, it, like you were mentioning earlier, it's this inverted Eucharist where the father eats the flesh of his children. And then also is this, is this, this, this mirror distortion, this ant, literally antichrist as, as, you know, as a, as a, as a positron is anti to an electron. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and okay. So Hollander goes on. He says, Ugolino who has just criticized Dante for being cruel because he does not weep now tells the protagonist that he himself did not weep when he perceived the fate of his sons and of himself. Indeed, he turned to stone. Mm-hmm. So he's a hypocrite on top of everything else. Right. Um, <laughs> God, this guy sucks. <laughs> yeah, the key passage that stands behind the scene is found in Luke's, Luke's gospel, Christ's parable of the importunate f- uh, friend. A man is visited by a friend at midnight and goes to the house of another friend to seek bread in order to feed his guest. The importunate friend replies, trouble me not, the door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give you. Christ comments on the parable insisting that importuning will eventually work. If a son shall ask for bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? The various details of the parable in a form that is both parallel and antithetic to the action recounted here find their place in Ugolino's narrative. The knocking on the door echoed in the hammer blows nailing up the prison, the man in bed with his children behind a locked door, and the father who will not give his son a stone when he asks for bread. Ugolino, however, gives his sons exactly that, a stony silence. Mm -hmm. When we ask ourselves what we would do in that situation, we probably know we would speak, not be silent. Um, I, I, I think what Hollander is pointing to here is the way, and, and this is what I always talked about, it's allegory, but it's also personal drama, but it's yeah. also the inversion of everything that we know that we should do. Yeah. We know what the right thing to do is, and this is all the wrong thing. Yeah. You know? And, yeah, and, uh, and, right, I mean, as, as Virgil might say, like, have you seen enough? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a truly, truly gruesome, uh, uh, aspect to the, to the poem, but, but the, but the poem itself is, is truly marvelous. It has been, it has been, uh, d- despite my, my late coming to, 
actually doing the reading. It's it was really uh, I guess my personal experience with it was um, it, it was it truly it, it really is one of those uh, it does have an uncanny aspect to it. Well, well that is just to say, and uh, and again, I you know I, I sang the praises of uh, Mr. Pinsky's translation, but the, the there is such a, a vividness to the imagery which belies the uh, that underlying sentiment that Dante is trying to get across that the the, the of the well to borrow a phrase from I believe what was it Hannah Arendt who coined the phrase banality of evil yeah um, and that's exactly and I think part of that, that that kind of tension is part of what provides so much interest in the poem that it, it is a is a very vividly it's a it's a vividly imagined exploration of banality yeah and 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 all of it leads very and it ends rather abruptly with the with the with Virgil our guide and Dante the poet literally clambering down the back of Satan himself. Yeah, it's it's a weird piece of of physics. Um, yeah. <laughs> they 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 climb up they they climb down Satan and then at a certain point have to twist upside down. They go into some side tunnel that leads right side up so mm-hmm. that they find themselves on the right side up of the world. And right, where and, where Satan's legs are sticking up out of the ice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Satan is the end point, but also the beginning. Yeah. And, and I, I, I really want to end our discussion by, by looking at the end of the poem because it's beautiful. The end of each piece of the Commedia, the, the, the Inferno, the Purgatorio, and the, the Paradiso, it all ends with stars. Mm-hmm. It all ends with a, a, an upward glance, and it's sort of like an old medieval cathedral. The idea is to draw you higher, mm-hmm. and, and I think that's that's beautiful and generous on Dante's part. Um, he he doesn't want us to dwell in sin. He doesn't want us to dwell in in this awfulness. He wants to take us. Okay, you've been through it. Now look up. Um, And following its path, we took no care to rest but climbed. He first, then I. So far through a round aperture I saw appear some of the beautiful things that heaven bears, where we came forth and once more saw the stars. Uh, Stella ends every piece of the Commedia. To keep looking upward, to, to, to not rest looking down at the horror, because you look down, you get out, and you're up, look up. Uh, to get back to what I was saying at the beginning, this, this isn't darkness and edginess and vengeance and ooh, look at how badass it is. Yeah. This is yeah. sad. It's, it's really not. Yeah, it is, it is sad. Like some of the most striking, for, for me, one of the, one of the images that struck, struck out most to me is, uh, uh, in, in one of the, the earlier circles, there are some there are some damned souls who uh, uh, Virgil and, and Dante the Pilgrim are. Uh, this it's driving pelting rains, whole, yeah. you know, gigantic raindrops. Just the kind of I mean, I, I, you know, I've, anyone who's experienced a, a, a snap thunder shower in Alabama knows this kind <laughs> of this hard rain that comes out of nowhere, and. Um, and, and in the midst of this, there are souls which are mired in this unending muck. And Cerberus, the the, the three-headed hell beast, uh, is is there at mauling them perpetually, just churning them in a mud of their own blood and 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 the and the and the 
the saliva of this monster, which mauls and chews all in the midst of this driving, driving rain. And it was the most, it was just brutally sad. Yeah. It was, it was, I mean, in a way it's like, I, I can appreciate the kind of the sort of the epicness of the image and it's extremely striking to read it, but it, it, it still gets across that notion of, 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 uh, misery rather than titillation. Yeah. And, and that's, that's absolutely the, the, the difference. Yeah. He's you know, Dante is not an edge Lord for, for edginess <laughs> sake. No, he's there, there, there is reason behind all this. And, uh, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm very excited to see what the Purgatorio, uh, uh, has in store for us. Yeah. Oh yeah. The, the, the Purgatorio for me is, well, we'll get there, but it, <laughs> that's where the pathos is Yeah, because it's all about why Virgil can't stay. Yeah. But, um, but anyway, we'll get there. Okay. So I, I, I think we brought Inferno to an end. Um, thank you so much. I, I'm sorry to make you cram so hard for, for Oh no. Way, I mean, yeah. like I said, honestly, I think the, the single sitting reading was itself a valuable exercise <laughs> in, in reading the poem. But uh, I, like I said, I'm going to do better for next time then. Uh, hey, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm faking it 90% of the time. Anyway, so. <laughs> well, don't let the listeners know that anyway. All right. <laughs> Well, uh, I, I guess that concludes this episode. Uh, thank you for listening and um, take care, Daniel. And um, thank you very much for putting up with me. Absolutely. We'll see you next time. All right. Take care. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.